بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ولا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا ما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh We gather once again for part 8 of the commentary on Surah Al-Hujarat. Last week we began verse number 10, sorry, verse number 11, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of three sins related to the Muslim community. Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la yaskha qawmun min qawmin asa an yakunu khayran minhum. O believers, let's not a group mock another group, i.e. of men. Let's not a group of men mock another group of men. Lest they be better than them. وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِّن نِسَاءٍ عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُنَّ خَيْرًا مِّنْهُمْ And nor let women mock other women, lest they be better than them. وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنْفُسَكُمْ And do not defame yourself. وَلَا تَنَابَزُوا بِالْأَلْقَابِ And do not call out to one another with labels. بِئْسَ الْإِسْمُ الْفُسُوقُ بَعْدَ الْإِيمَانِ Evil is a name of sin. Or terrible is a name of sin. After faith. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَتُبْ And whoever does not repent. فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ Then these, they are the wrongdoers. Now I began with the first part of يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا يَسْخَرُ قَوْمٌ مِّنْ قَوْمٍ عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُونُ خَيْرًا مِّنْهُمْ That, O oh, believers, let not a group of you mock another group, lest they be better than them. And I expanded quite a lot. To summarize once again, Poking fun at others, mocking them, ridiculing them, scoffing at them, 
joking about them, whether it's in their presence or absence. All of these are considered sins in Islam. And Allah and His Rasul frown upon them. And this verse is not merely a random teaching in the midst of many of the verses. The whole surah has a theme. And this verse, along with the preceding and the subsequent verses, all fit in with that theme. And the theme of the surah is a just, equitable, fair, moral, upright society. And we saw evidence of that during the time of the Prophet ﷺ and shortly thereafter. And this is why we also name the commentary of the whole surah as a Medinan society. And Allah begins a surah by reminding the believers of recognizing their boundaries and their limits in relation to Allah, first of all, and then to the noble messenger, sallallahu Allah then speaks of verifying the truth, not relying on rumors, being extra cautious before passing judgment, and relying on evidence, etc. And again, all of this is related to ensuring that no individual is harmed by rumors, by gossip, by lies, and by rash, hasty judgments without evidence and merely on the basis of hearsay and rumor. Again, all of this fits into the topic of justice and fairness. And all of it leads to creating a harmonious society. Allah also spoke of how conflict should be avoided and where there is conflict, how others should strive to bring about harmony, peace and reconciliation between these conflicting, differing parties. And then Allah ends that section with the words, The believers are but brothers. Therefore reconcile your two brothers. And be wary of Allah, perhaps you may receive mercy. And then immediately Allah says, O believers, let's not a group of you mock another group. Now these verses are deeply connected. And the first thing which Allah mentions to us is, and the way we should understand it is as follows. Allah says, establish brotherhood. Allah reminds us that believers are but brothers. Bring about peace, harmony and reconciliation between the brothers, between you. Establish fraternity, brotherhood, sisterhood. But that cannot be established by mere slogans. Or even just by calling one another brother, sister. 
during the time of the Prophet And before I mention that, let's speak of today. And forgive me for being frank. But today, the words brother and sister have become a cliche. We say them, but they are void and bereft of any meaning or depth. Everyone's a brother, everyone's a sister. Brother Funa, Sister Funana, Brother Funa, Sister Fulana. We always use the word brother when addressing each other, when speaking of each other, when giving titles to one another. Men do it, women do it. And yet, how true is that brotherhood? During the time of the Sahaba, anhum, rarely, in fact, it's, it's almost non-existent. Almost non-existent. You will never find in the literature anyone calling out to another with the words, Akh Abdullah, Al-Akh Zayd, Al-Akh Funa, Al-Akh Funa. Never. The Arabs were a very unpretentious people. There was no pretense, no airs and graces, no falsehood. One thing they were never guilty of is pretentious behavior. They were raw, straightforward as Bedouin. This was before Islam, but even after Islam, they were very open. They would say whatever was needed, but their hearts were clean. And you can still find this in some societies throughout the world, especially with simple folk. Even villagers in rural areas back home, they'll say what, they are very unpretentious. They will say what needs to be said flat to your face, but their hearts are clean. So the Arabs were like that, even amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. The only person they would give titles to was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Otherwise, to each other, they would never say brother fulana, sister fulana, nor would they even give titles to one another. The most honorific title given to each other was the kunya, where the person was named after the eldest child or one of the children or not even necessarily their own children. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave her the kunya, Umm Abdullah, after her nephew, Abdullah ibn al-Zubayr radiallahu anhuma. So, she was childless, yet she was given a kunya. So this was an honorific title. Even the Prophet ﷺ, his kunya was Abu Al-Qasim. And some would continue to call him Abu Al-Qasim. So the most honorific title given to one another was a kunya. Otherwise, brother funa, long titles prefixes were unknown to the Arabs. They were very unpretentious. And yet, they 
lived and realised that true brotherhood. They demonstrated it. Allahu Akbar. And there are countless examples of their brotherhood, some of which I have quoted. So, they had brotherhood without the titles and the name. And today, we must question ourselves that we are forever banding about the titles brother, sister, brother, sister. But is there any depth, is there any reality to that claim of brotherhood? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us how that brotherhood is to be established. And the first thing he mentions in way of achieving that brotherhood is do not mock one another. Now that's quite telling. We actually think that mockery, scoffing, poking fun at one another is not a problem. It's, it's a non-issue. There is no problem. We don't even think of it as a sin. In fact, we probably think that it's not exi- it doesn't really exist. How often do we poke fun at one another? And yet there lies the danger. We may not even realise we are doing it. It's evidently important enough for Allah to mention it. And for Allah to mention it as a first sin after telling us to establish brother. That this is what we must avoid. And as we learn from Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, one can mock another without even moving their lips. Just what, what happened? Um Imam Tirmidhi and others relate that Prophet Um Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says that I said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, hasbuk min safiyya takadha. That as far as Safiya is concerned, referring to Safiya, the daughter of Ali ibn Akhtab, one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as far as Safiya is concerned, all you need to know, or suffice, sufficient for you in relation to Safiya, is this. And she didn't even say short, but she merely motioned with her hands, speaking unfavorably about the height of Umm Mu'mineen Safiya, radiyallahu anha, who was shorter than the others. So the Prophet said to her, O Aisha, you have uttered a word, even though she never uttered it. You have produced a word, one word, kalima, which if mixed with the waters of the oceans would dilute them. That's how poisonous it is. Like it would actually dilute the waters of the oceans without her saying anything, merely motioning signaling. And then she continues, that I once imitated someone, just like we imitate a person, their actions, their gestures, their gait, their manner of walking, it could be anything, even their frowning or their facial expression. So Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says, I imitated someone and the Prophet sallallahu said to me, O oh, Aisha, I would never imitate anyone, even if I was given so much and so much wealth in return. So 
So we may not even realise that we are mocking others. Poking fun at others is a sin in Islam. And when Allah says, you may not even realise what the other person's rank and position is with Allah. And as I mentioned, one of the impetuses to mocking others, one of the things that drives us to scoff at others, to mock them, to ridicule them, is our own deep insecurity, our own sense of worthlessness, our own projection of our flaws and weaknesses onto others, our deflection in the hope that people will turn their gaze away from us to others. And we wish to mock others in the hope that we can feel better and we can look better. There's a very twisted and convoluted psychology behind this. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that rather than mocking them, you should realize that the very people you mock may be better with Allah than you. And far, far better. Who do we mock? We mock those who are poor, who are supposedly and apparently inferior, inferior in appearance, in dress, in material possessions, in wealth, in income. The ones that we momentarily feel that we are better than. And yet, the very teaching of Islam has always been that do not look at how a person appears. In a hadith, the Prophet says, related by many authors, Allah does not look at your figures or your wealth. Rather, Allah looks at your deeds and at your hearts. And this is why a person may be disheveled, unkempt, covered in dust, driven away from doors, as I mentioned in the hadith last week. And yet that person could be so beloved to Allah that Allah, that, that person may take an oath and Allah will ensure that his oath does not go unfulfilled. And we sometimes laugh at another person, not because they may necessarily be inferior in appearance and clothing, in dress, in wealth, in possessions, but simply because something has happened to them which momentarily makes us feel better about ourselves. And it's very common, even children do it. If someone trips, everyone laughs. In fact, there is no shame in learning. We learn in the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ taught us openly and frankly that when people pass wind, others laugh. And the Prophet ﷺ, if he wished, he could have remained silent on that occasion. But even at that moment, he gave us a, gave us a teaching. He said, why do you laugh at something which you do yourself? 
Why do you laugh at something which you do yourself? It's something very natural. It's something which happens to every single human being. And it happens to you. And one of the reasons why we laugh at others is that we are actually trying to mask and conceal our shame on that occasion. It may have happened to someone else, but it reminds us of our own flaw, our own mortality, our own human nature. And again, we wish to deflect. We wish to divert others' attention to someone else. We wish to project and we laugh. But it's that kind of guilty laugh, where we know ourselves that we are laughing, but deep down within we know the truth. So the Prophet ﷺ gave us a beautiful teaching. Why should one of you laugh at something which he does himself? So sometimes we may laugh and laugh at someone else, not necessarily because they are inferior, but because something happens to them. And this is very common. Someone falls, someone trips. Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith in his sahih. That once Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha was in Mina, and it was obviously during the Hajj, and she was in her tent. And as was the custom, there were tents pitched everywhere. So a group of young men from the Quraysh, they visited Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, and they were all laughing collectively. So Aisha radiallahu anha asked them, that, why are you laughing? So they informed her that such and such a person has just tripped on the tent rope. So one of the main ropes that stretches from the peg to the corner of the tent, very taut rope, close to the entrance or anywhere nearby. They said that such and such a person, he tripped over the taut rope of the tent. And it was such a fall that it seemed as though his neck was about to go or his eye was about to go. He was about to lose his neck or his eye. So hard was the fall. So that's what made them laugh. So Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha's reply to them was and her teaching to them was, do not laugh at him. For I have heard the Messenger sallallahu say that not even a thorn pricks the foot, not even a thorn pricks any believer or something greater than a thorn pricking him, except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sheds one of his sins and raises him by one rank. So do not laugh at him. Whichever way we look at it, if someone falls and if we consider someone inferior, whether in appearance, in looks, in wealth, in possessions, then we are guilty of arrogance and they may be very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah does not bless people with the dunya because they are better with Allah. Allah says in the Quran, Allah says in the Quran, 
انظر كيف فضلنا بعضهم على بعض ولا الآخرة أكبر درجات وأكبر تفضيلا Allah says each, meaning all of them, the people. And before that, Allah speaks of those who work for the world and those who work for the hereafter. So Allah says each, the worldly and the unworldly. Those who believe in Allah and those who don't. Allah says, All of them do we give and sustain. These and these من عطاء ربك from the bounty of your Lord. Allah gives everyone. Allah's gift and bounty is no measure of Allah's pleasure with that person. Allah continues that the gift and the bounty of your Lord is not restricted in any way. Then Allah says, see how we have given some preference and privilege over the others in the world. But, Surely the hereafter is far greater in ranks and is far greater in grace and virtue. So, one's wealth, one's material possessions, one's worldly success is no mark or measure of Allah's pleasure. It's not. If it was, the Prophet ﷺ would have been the king of the world in material possessions. So, if someone's inferior to us, apparently in wealth or in material possessions, it definitely does not make us better than them. And even if somewhat we laugh at someone not because they are inferior, but because something happens to them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rewarding them even whilst they are suffering. And in one hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi and others, Prophet says, although some have questioned the authenticity of the hadith, it's a da'if hadith, according to most scholars, but uh, it's a hadith recorded by Imam Tirmidhi and others. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, لَا تُظْهِرِ الشَّمَاتَ تَلِأَخِيكَ فَيَرْحَمَهُ اللَّهُ وَيَبْتَلِيكَ When one narration, فَيَعَافِيهِ اللَّهُ وَيَبْتَلِيكَ Do not ever express satisfaction at the misfortune of another, of your brother. Shamata. The word for it is schadenfreude, a German word which is used in English, schadenfreude, where we gloat and feel a smug satisfaction over the misfortune and suffering of another. So the Prophet even teaches us that, that do not express shamata, do not express schadenfreude. Do not feel smug or satisfied and do not draw any satisfaction from the suffering of your brother. Lest, he continues, Lest Allah has mercy on him and Allah relieves him and inflicts that suffering on you. And in fact, in one hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, Never does a person taunt another with a sin except that Allah will embroil that taunting person in that same sin before he dies. So, 
There is no reason for us to laugh at another. None whatsoever. Whichever way you look at it. So the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O oh, believers, let's not a group of, you, of men mock another group lest they are better than them. Meaning the, mocking, the mocked ones are better than the mocking ones. And then Allah repeats it, even though on means a people, which includes men and women. But because of the sensitivity of this issue, Allah separately mentions it again and repeats it with emphasis. And let not women mock other women, lest the mocked women be better than the mocking women. So that's the first part of the verse in relation to ridicule and mockery. And as I mentioned last week, it doesn't mean that we have to be dry and heedless. But subhanAllah, we need to know our boundaries. As someone walking down the road poked another with his umbrella on the nose. She said, why did he do that for? She said, freedom. She said, your freedom ends when my nose begins. So indeed, you can be humorous, you can be satirizing, you can mock, you can ridicule, you can enjoy your comedy, you can enjoy your laughs, but at whose expense? And surely there must be limits, there must be boundaries. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set the boundaries much closer than we think. And that's for our sake. Because this is exactly what causes discord and disharmony and conflict and tension. Imagine how, how, how do we feel when someone laughs at us? It's a terrible feeling. In fact, we grow up with that. Even a child, strangely enough, a child, a child can take criticism. They really can. If you tell a child you're wrong in school or in learning, you tell a child you're wrong, that's not the way to do it. You watch, a child will actually laugh at themselves and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realise. Oh, is it like that? You tell an adult you're wrong, even if they are students, and I've experienced it many times, <laughs> meaning as a teacher, you tell an adult student you're wrong, they sulk, not just for the rest of the lesson, for the rest of the month. They just can't get over it. And so I often say to my students, and I have countless students. I repeatedly tell them, if you want to learn, be like children when learning. Truly, be like children, open-minded, self-critical, self-deprecating, non-judgmental, respectful. Be like children. And you will learn as rapidly as children do. 
and you will retain the knowledge. But if you want to learn as though you are the teacher, then let me sit at your knees and you be my sheikh. Because you will never do it. So children, they can accept criticism. But the one thing children definitely cannot tolerate, which is shame and being laughed at. Have you ever seen a child react when other children are laughing at it? And we've all been through it. It's a terrible feeling. Children across the world, they may not be huge numbers, but they definitely are. And we read about them. Children have committed suicide because of emotional bullying. And that bullying, emotional, not physical, emotional bullying simply because of taunts, jibes, and other children ganging up on them and laughing at them. A child can take criticism. A child can even take being disciplined. A child can even take, be, and tolerate being deprived of goodies. But a child finds it very difficult to deal with being laughed at and with being shamed. And that continues with us in adulthood. So when we mock and ridicule others, we are once again inflict inflicting that childhood trauma of being laughed at and of being shamed. We would never want it for ourselves. We would never tolerate it for ourselves no matter how much we may protest otherwise. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't do it. Just don't do it. Truth is, we wouldn't want it to be done to us, and therefore we shouldn't be doing it to others. It smacks of arrogance. Mockery smacks of arrogance. That's why Allah says, lest the mocked ones be better than the mocking ones. There's a lot more that can be said about this, but I suffice with this. Moving on to the second sin. The second sin is And do not taunt yourselves. I also use the words, do not defame yourselves. Now, I explained a bit about lums in Surah Al-Humazah. وَيْلٌ لِكُلِّ هُمَزَةِ اللُّمَزَةِ الَّذِي جَمَعَ مَالًا وَعَدَّدًا يَحْسَبُ أَنَّ مَالَهُ أَخْلَدًا Woe be unto every backbiting, taunting, defaming person. He who gathers wealth and counts it, enumerates it. He thinks that his wealth will make him immortal, give him everlasting life. And I explained then that wealth can corrupt. And it corrupts a person's character, attitude. Wealth can make a person arrogant. Wealth can make a person delusional, thinking, as Allah says, that he is immortal, he will live forever. One of the other things that wealth does is the beginning. Humazah lumazah. It makes him into a taunting, uh, sort of taunting, sniping, snappy, 
backbiting, judgmental individual, arrogant. And I explained then that hums and lums, the words from which humaza and lumaza both derive. Hums and lums originally meant to attack physically. So when Allah says, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ The word comes from lums. The literal meaning is, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Do not attack yourselves. And then later the word for the Arabs was expanded to refer to any form of attack, whether it was physical or verbal. Now when we throw jibes at someone, when we taunt another, then we are verbally attacking them. And this is why in Islam, there is not that great a distinction between physical attacks and verbal attacks. In Islam, we have no concept of sticks and stones break bones, but words never hurt. That policy does not stand in Islam. In Islam, we've always believed and we've always been taught that words can hurt as much as stones. And words can inflict as much pain as sticks. And that often a broken bone can be mended, but a broken heart cannot be mended. A bruised heart, by words, cannot so easily be mended. So in Islam, there is no, dis- there is no real distinction between physical attacks and verbal attacks. And that's the way of looking at it. When we look at it from that prism, Many of the teachings of Allah and His Rasul come together, make sense, and appear very consistent. That there is no real distinction. Whereas the alternative is that, do you know what? As long as you don't lay a finger on another person, you can say what you want to them. As long as you don't hit another person, hurt another person, meaning physically, you can say whatever you want to them, in their presence, in their absence. But now, very slowly and gradually, laws are changing. Very slowly. So now there are laws about hate crime, about misogyny. And one of the latest is that if a woman is taunted with words, or she feels verbally attacked in any way by being approached, in in an undesirable manner, or in a suggestive manner, or something is said to her, then police forces across the country are now seriously considering applying laws of hate to this, such acts of misogyny. So slowly, laws are changing, but very, very slowly. And again, they are not universal. 
but only in selective sectors, only for selective segments of the, of the community. But in Islam, from the very beginning, we have always been taught and we have always believed that there is no distinction between physical attacks and verbal attacks. And this is why lums in Arabic originally comes from the word attack. So when Allah says, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not attack yourselves. That means verbally. I do not throw jibes at yourselves. Do not taunt yourselves. Do not defame yourselves. Now the question is, nobody defames themselves per se. So what, what, what does this mean? It means do not do it to one another. So why say to yourselves? Because ultimately the harm will fall on you. You taunt another, eventually the harm will befall you. You throw jibes at another, ultimately you will be the one who will also suffer. So Allah tells us, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not attack yourselves, i.e. do not defame yourselves. Do not throw jibes at yourselves, at one another. Do not taunt one another in any way whatsoever. Backbiting is saying something in someone's absence. And that's humaza, one who is an excessive backbiter. Woe be unto humaza, excessive backbiter. Lumaza, excessive, taunting, defaming person, even if it's in someone's presence. Being harsh of tongue, saying things to people. Prophet says, Sibabu Muslim Fusukun waqitaluhu kufr. Abusing a Muslim is an act of sin. And I'll say more about this at the end of the verse. The third sin which Allah mentions is And do not call out to one another with offensive names. Al-Qab means titles. Now, during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, when he arrived in Medina, the Sahaba عنهم, say that the Ansar Sahaba of Medina, many of them had two or three names. But these weren't, these weren't names that they had adopted themselves, but rather they were names and titles and labels given to them by others. So the Prophet وسلم, in his innocence, he would at times call out to people using any one of these two, three names that they had. So then the Prophet was advised by others that, Ya Rasulullah, he does not like this name. So the Prophet desisted. And then Allah actually uh, mentioned this, that, O oh, believers, do not call out to one another with offensive names. That means... When people give others titles, offensive titles, it may be to do with their... The title may reflect something of their appearance, their disability, their complexion, their height, their stature, their body. It may reflect something of their health or their background. Whatever it is, if it's, disappro- if it's disapproved by that person, then it's offensive. 
The simple rule is, and this is a simple rule, what is backbiting? We will learn about backbiting in the next verse. What is taunting? How do you define taunting? Allah says, Do not attack one another. So how do you define an attack? One. Two. Allah tells us in the next verse, do not backbite. How do you define backbiting? Allah says, do not call out to one another with offensive names. How do you define an offensive name? In Islam, the ruling is very simple. It's not complicated at all. What we are told is, as far as backbiting is concerned, if you are to mention anything in someone's absence, which the other person dislikes, that is backbiting. So in a, in a hadith related by Tirmidhi and others, the Prophet ﷺ was asked, Ya Rasulullah, what is backbiting? So he said, you're mentioning something about your brother which he dislikes. That's it. Not, some, not something which infuriates him or enrages him, but you mentioning anything about him which he dislikes. That's backbiting in his absence. So someone said, Ya Rasulullah, what if it's true? So he said, if it's true, then it's backbiting. And if it's not true, then you have slandered him. So how do you define backbiting? Saying anything in someone's absence that they simply dislike. How do you define taunting when Allah says, do not taunt one another, do not throw jibes at one another, do not defame one another? How do you explain defamation, jibes? How do you define taunting? Simple, anything that they do not like. How do you, def Allah says, do not call out to one another with offensive names. How do you define an offensive name? A defensive la an offensive label. Simple, whatever they dislike and disapprove of, is undesirable. It now becomes haram for you to call them by that name. Simple. So, shorty, lanky, any one of the, giving them names or titles based on these reflections, all of this is impermissible in Islam. In fact, only this afternoon, my younger brother told me about someone where he had one of his class fellows or one of his fellow students where he had studied. And this was a religious establishment where they were all becoming ulama. And one of the students was on the large side, corpulent. And his very name was Fat Funner. That was his actual name. My brother told me only this afternoon. That was his very name. Do not taunt one another. Do not throw jibes at one another. And in fact, the, the reason the discussion came up was that he was very large. But now he's extremely slim. And these things change. Sometimes the taunting, mocking people themselves become 
the very spectacle of what they were mocking before. So whatever the other person finds offensive and what he or she dislikes, now becomes haram for anyone to throw that back at them. Whether as a label, a name, a title, a jibe, a taunt, or in terms of backbiting, it's all haram. So do not defame yourselves. And do not call out to one another with offensive labels. All of these are haram. Then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends a verse with the words, Evil, indeed, is a name of sin after iman, after faith. Now, what does this word, uh, sentence mean? It means both things. One, Allah simply says, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you iman, then it's very lowly of you. It's very base of you. Very despicable of you. That you should, contrary to the teachings of iman, you should reduce yourself to mocking, taunting, and ridiculing others. It's a very lowly, despicable thing. A dignified, noble, honourable person does not do this. When Allah has blessed you with, with iman, after you have been gifted with iman, how can you lower yourself to this level? That being a mu'min, this is your despicable behaviour. That you indulge in throwing jibes and taunts at others, and mocking others. Are you a fool? That's the behavior of a joke. That's the behavior of a fool. And you do that to yourself after Allah has gifted you with iman. So, bits al-ismu fusuq ba'd al-iman. And this isn't just despicable behavior, it's fusuq, it's a sin. And fusuq, fusuq means sinfulness. Fusuq originally means transgression. So this is transgression. How is it referred to as transgression? Fusuq means transgressing the boundaries, the limits, coming out of the boundaries. A mouse is called a fawaisika. And it's mentioned in the hadith as well. The lit, a fa, what do we call a sinful person? Fasiq. What do we call a sinful person? A fasiq. But it doesn't just mean sinful. A fasiq is someone who has transgressed. And therefore his transgression is to such a degree that a fasiq, his, his or her shahada is not accepted in a court of law. Their testimony is not accepted. They are unreliable. So, a fasiq means a sinful person. And the diminutive of fasiq is fawaisiq. The little fasiq. So, a mouse is called a fawaisiq or fawaisiqa. So, why is the poor mouse called the little fasiq? It's actually mentioned in the hadith. The Arabs would give the name fawaisiq or fawaisiqa. So, why is the poor mouse called the little fasiq? Because it's not because it's a fasiq or sinful in any way. 
because it's, a, it's the original name, what does the mouse do? It comes out of its hole. So fusuk means coming out. Coming out of the limits, coming out of the boundaries that Allah has placed. So anyone who comes out of the boundaries and the limits that Allah has placed, that person is now a transgressor, a farsiq. So the poor, the, the, the poor mouse is only sin of transgression that it's come out of its hole. But when a person is called a farsiq, it's because they have come out of the boundaries and the limits set by Allah. They have transgressed the limits. And therefore they are guilty of fusuq, of transgression. So Allah says here, evil is a name of transgression after iman. That means that Allah has given you iman, faith. But as part of this faith, Allah has also placed limits. And part of those limits and boundaries is this, that you do not mock others, you do not taunt others, you do not throw jibes at others, you do not defame one another, you do not call out to one another with offensive names. These behaviors are lowly and despicable, but they are not just lowly and despicable. If you are guilty of them, even with iman, then you are guilty of transgression and of coming out of the boundaries and limits placed by Allah. And that's evil. It's very evil. And I said there were two meanings. The other meaning is that when Allah has blessed another person with iman and faith, then what right do you have to mock them, to taunt them, to throw jibes at them, and to defame them? Evil is your throwing on them the label of sin, or any other jibes and taunts, when Allah has blessed them with iman. So it applies, the word iman applies to both the mocker and the mocked. The taunter and the taunted. The labeler and the labeled. That Allah has given you iman, that should make you think. Is this your behavior after Allah has gifted you with faith? After Allah has endowed you with his blessed iman? Should you be doing this to someone whom Allah has adorned with iman? That should make us think. Finally, Allah said, and, and then... وَمَنْ لَمْ يَتُبْ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ And whoever does not repent of these sins, of these transgressions, of mockery, of verbally attacking one another, and of calling out to one another with offensive names and labels, whoever does not repent of these sins, of these transgressions, فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ Then these are the wrongdoers. And indeed, this is a wrong. All of these are instances of dhulm, of injustice, of wrongdoing. And when a person mocks another, they are wronging their victim, but they have also wronged their souls. When a person labels another with an offensive title, they have wronged them undoubtedly, but they have also wronged themselves. When a person verbally attacks another, undoubtedly they are committing an act of dhulm upon the other but they are also wronging themselves and their souls. So these are all great wrongs. And the, these wrongs will abide with them. They will stand with them till Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And I said earlier on that I will mention more about the words verbally attacking and fusuq. 
Because when Allah says, whoever does not repent of these sins and these transgressions, then these are the wrongdoers. Again, as I was saying, we do not pay attention to the sins of the tongue. Even our concept of sin is very cultural. It really is. If we saw someone drinking alcohol, imagine if we saw a drunk person, someone who's a Muslim, imagine someone who prays salah, and goes to the masjid. And then someone sees him drunk outside. If not even drunk. There was one individual who became the talk of the town. Because he had a beard. But he was regularly seen walking around. He, was a, he had a beard and he would wear a taqiyah, a hat as well, a topi. So he had a topi and... Uh, a beard and he would be regularly seen walking around with a can of lager in his hand and he became the talk of the town but we all learnt later that unfortunately he was mentally disturbed he really was so he had severe mental issues so I'm just using that example imagine someone who actually visits the masjid, frequents the masjid, but then someone sees them drinking, what would we individually and collectively think of them? What would we think of them? I'm sure many of us would think the worst of things. If someone was guilty of robbery, theft, burglary. Again, if someone was guilty of physically attacking another, horror of horrors, we are mortified. And yet, we regularly indulge in these verbal sins without batting an eyelid and sometimes even whilst fasting without batting an eyelid this is haram, that's haram in some of these sins there is no victim but in many sins of the tongue there is a victim So our concept of sins is also very cultural. What we as a culture and as a community frown upon, that must be abstained from. But what we regard as being tolerable or the norm is fine, even though Allah and his messenger repeatedly condemned. Sallallahu alayhi wa And that should make us think. These are sins, and the verbal sins are often some of the worst, because they're very easy to commit, and the sins are enormous. They truly are. In a hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi and others, from Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu, 
Prophet Muadh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu says that one day we were traveling with, well we were traveling with the Prophet and one day I managed to get close to him. So when I became very close to him, I found an opportunity, so I asked the Prophet the question, Ya Rasulullah, tell me of a deed which will draw me closer to Jannah and make me distant from the fire. O Messenger of Allah, tell me of a deed which will bring me closer to Jannah and lead me away from the fire. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, You have asked for a great thing indeed. But it is still very easy for one for whom Allah makes it easy. And then the Prophet ﷺ advised him <coughs> about salah, zakah, fasting in Ramadan, hajj, sadaqah, meaning optional sadaqah over and above zakah. The Prophet ﷺ spoke to him about the hajjid salah and various other things. And then finally, the Prophet ﷺ said, should I not inform you of something which encompasses all of this? Subhanallah. He's, think of the questions that both companion and the messenger وسلم, are riding together. And he says, tell me of a deed which will lead, draw me closer to Jannah and lead me away from the fire. And then the Prophet ﷺ tells him of what? Salah, zakah, fasting in Ramadan, hajj, sadaqah, over and above zakah, the hajjud salah, at night. And one or two other things. And then finally he says to him, should I not inform you of something which encompasses all of this? So what could encompass all of that? What could actually beat all of that? So Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu said, Bala ya Rasulullah, of course, O Messenger of Allah, tell me. So do you know what the Prophet wasallam did? Imagine him, he's riding. With, with his noble hands, he pulled out his tongue. And he said to Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu an, pulled out his tongue and he said to him, withhold your tongue. This encompasses everything. This beats all of the above. Withhold your tongue. So Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu an expressed surprise as any, many of us are. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, will we be taken to task for what we utter with our tongues? So the Prophet said to him, Mu'adh, thakilatka ummuk, ya Mu'adh. Oh Mu'adh, may your mother lose you. وَهَلْ يَكُبُّ النَّاسَ فِي النَّارِ عَلَىٰ وُجُوهِهِمْ إِلَّا حَصَائِدُ أَلْسِنَتِهِمْ And is there anything else other than the harvest of people's tongues that shall throw them flat into, on their faces in the fire? Meaning, is there anything else? There is nothing else which flings people flat on their faces in the fire, illa hasaidu al sinatihim, except the harvest of their tongues. And look at the words, the harvest. You know why harvest? 
when a farmer works and gathers the harvest with their scythe and with their instruments and uh, farming implements, what do they do? They collect. And at that time, they don't sift through good and bad, wet and dry, ripe and raw. They don't. You just hoover up everything. You gather everything. So you just collect, cut and collect, cut and collect. And you collect the harvest. Then, traditionally, they would take the harvest to large pens, granaries, storehouses, and then they would sift through. Separate the chaff and whatever they needed to. But at the time of harvesting, everything goes together. Good and bad, wet and dry, ripe and raw. So the Arabs would use the word hasaid, the Prophet except the harvest of their tongues. The Prophet likens our tongues to farming tools, to farming implements that just gather. And in modern terminology, to hoovers. We hoover up everything as we go along. Lies and truths, exaggerations and falsehoods. Good and bad, wet and dry, haram and halal. Our tongues are forever sweeping up everything and harvesting everything. That's why the Prophet ﷺ uses the words, There is nothing that flings people flat on their faces in the fire except the harvest of their tongues. Then the Prophet ﷺ, in one narration, not in Tirmidhi, but in another narration of another book of Hadith, he says, same Hadith, that O he says, As long as you remain silent and withhold your tongue, you shall remain safe. But the moment you open your mouth and you say something with your tongue, something will be recorded either against you or for you. The sins of the tongue are serious truly are and this is what these verses are about but they are in the context of brotherhood these are the first sins that Allah mentioned to make us realize that if you want to realize that brotherhood that khuwah of Islam then the first thing you must do is control your tongue it begins here rather than throw about brother and sister all the time Less of brother and sister, more control of the tongue. Less backbiting, less taunting, less jibing, less defaming. Less calling out to one another with offensive names. Less mocking each other. Brotherhood begins here. And these are sins, these are transgressions. And we should recognise them for what they are. There are many ahadith about this, about the sins of the tongue, but I'll suffice with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. Sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.